If you'd open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, you can find it on page 984 of your pew Bible. We'll start in verse 22. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be, pay, will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we... Thank you that you have given us abundantly in this culture. We thank you for your grace to each one of us and how you've provided our needs over the years through the work that you've given us. And we pray, Lord, that you would bless us for that, that we would bring honor to your name, that you would be the whole sum and substance of why we do anything we do that we will live as in your presence, we will live with your eye upon us, and we will live in fellowship with you, we will live to honor you, we will live sustained by you, we will live with uh, active sense, a real sense of your love and care for us in Christ. Uh, And Lord, that we will be used as instruments for good in this world, uh, instruments to show forth the goodness of God uh, by everything that we do, particularly even in our work. Lord, we ask these things for your glory and honor. Amen. Uh, If you've uh, not been with us, this passage is connected to what just uh, preceded it in that there's this series of of, uh, commands that are related to those who are subject and those who are over uh, that person. So, Wives and husbands, then children and fathers, and now finally, slaves and masters. And it's tempting to jump immediately to our own situations uh, of modern-day work and just draw a few little things from this passage that pertain particularly to us. But I would uh, urge us to look first at the situation of the day and this address that was specific to slaves. And if we do that and appreciate uh, the address as it is in their situation, I think all the more will it speak into our situation. So we have to give ourselves to enter into a bit of what was going on then uh, to appreciate the genius of the gospel, the greatness of what Paul proclaims here. Um, One thing that comes up, uh, and it should, is what about slavery itself? Does the Bible speak against it? And there have been those in our Christian history who have actually defended uh, slavery or at least said that it's allowed in Scripture. The Scripture doesn't speak against it. And in this situation, uh, a question arises, well, why didn't Paul... Just say to the masters, and by the way, just set your slaves free, you idiot. You know, like, what are you doing having slaves? I mean, that's kind of our, from our modern 
perspective, we just think, well, how could you address somebody in, in this way and not tell them that most basic thing that they need to do is set their slaves free? But doesn't even think about that, does it? So there, I want to talk a bit about this uh, social political situation. And uh, there are two levels. Like on the one hand, you might say, well, why didn't the Christians rise up and, and attack this institution of slavery within their culture? Why didn't they, you know, work for righteousness, work for justice, work for freedom? That's one question. But then if you say, as we'll make the point that politically, socially, that was not only suicide, it was just absolute foolishness. It couldn't be done. There was no way in the world to even approach it. But if not that, then couldn't you speak on a personal level to someone? Say, okay, I can't attack the slavery as a whole, but couldn't you at least address this particular people and talk about slavery on that level? I mean, here here are people sitting in church that have slaves, and you're not telling them, hey, by the way, you just can't do this. You just can't have these slaves. He doesn't, he doesn't bring that up. So as soon as you all find an answer, let me know. Next part. Uh, no, just kidding. Um, so first of all, there was no possibility of an uprising of an immediate social change in the situation. First of all, one-third of of Colossae was likely slaves. And they weren't united in any sense. I mean, you had slaves who were slaves in the mines, the salt mines and other very difficult areas. Then you had slaves who were teaching and training children in the home, just almost like members of the family. So there wasn't a united, you know, slave council or federation or whatever. So uh, th- this wasn't even entering in their minds, uh, basically. Also, Christianity was just the tiniest minority in this society, and certainly it would have destroyed uh, Christianity immediately, and it would have placed the emphasis on the wrong thing. It would have distorted totally what the gospel is all about to make the gospel about political change. That's not what the gospel is about. That's not what Jesus was about in the first place. So uh, that brings to that second, uh, the second point is that the emphasis uh, throughout the New Testament is being a believer where you are in your condition, manifesting the life of Christ, working for the common good, bringing light into darkness, changing your perspective on all that you do and the people with whom you did it, and as well... Uh, on a larger basis, carving out this new community of worship, this new island of relational, hopeful sanity in this dark world, a place of encouragement, support, light, and love, by which more and more people could be brought into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the point of the gospel. That's what they were there to be creating, this new community uh, within this larger society. Um, and so to cause this other kind of trouble would have been to undermine the very point of the gospel, the very uh, project of the gospel to build this uh, community. And we have to see what uh, is being done in this passage. First, that slaves are assembled with all the church, Right? They are dressed as responsible members, unlike in the Roman lists of of, uh, husbands, fathers, and masters. Now, the slaves themselves are dressed unheard of. You have a responsibility 
you, uh, what you have choices, you have dignity of life before God. What you do every day and how you do it matters in this world and it matters in the next. You have ultimate significance and what you do has ultimate significance in God's eyes. That's what's being said by the slaves even being addressed at all. So that, that is tremendous in that regard. Also, in addressing uh, the slaves and the masters and by speaking of the master over them, it relativizes that relationship. Both of them are under a master. It is no longer what it used to be. You see, it really changes everything. It's not just earthly master-slave, but now master and slave are brought on an equal level before a Lord who is their Lord. That changes the game right there. We'll speak more to that as we go. So Paul's words I'll bring in from 1 Corinthians 7, very interesting in this point. He said, and in that passage he says, well, if you can gain your freedom, fine, but the real point is to live where God has called you and not just to try to blow apart the social situation because you want something different now that you become a Christian. You need first to be faithful where God's called you. That's his point there in 1 Corinthians 7. And then he says this, He who was called in the Lord as a slave is freedman of the Lord... Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave of Christ. So you see, before it was master and slave. Now you're a slave and a master, and you're a slave and a master. You're both slaves. You're both free. Or say slave and a master. You're you're both free. You're both slaves. Uh, You're on equal footing now before this Lord. And Paul, in this passage, certainly doesn't endorse slavery by what he says. He just speaks into the existing situation. And at least some interpreters, uh, when they teach on Philemon, which is the last of Paul's letters, it's the smallest one, so it's the last one. They're in order of, of size, okay? But Philemon was being delivered at the same time with this letter of Colossae. And it was being delivered by Onesimus, who was a former slave who'd run away from Philemon, run into Paul, and been converted, and Paul was sending him back to Philemon. And uh, he both apparently had that letter to Philemon from Paul, uh, but also this letter of Colossae, because he's mentioned in the last chapter of Colossae, Onesimus is. But the whole point is that many interpreters say that Paul was hinting to Philemon that, you know what, now that he's your brother, maybe you should release him. Now, not everybody agrees with that, but at least there's some indication that perhaps Paul was even hinting that now in this new relationship you might consider that. Um, But the point is that he doesn't uh, certainly endorse uh, slavery. And then you have to understand that being set free in that society was in many cases the worst possible thing that could happen to a slave. The opportunities were not America, okay? You just have to get in your head. If you didn't belong to a house, you weren't attached in a favorable position where you had work in a a house or in uh, some situation... There might be nothing for you to do. It may be this or absolute poverty. And I know many of you watched Downton Abbey, and it was really interesting to see when the valet, uh, which I learned, you know, is not valet, it's valet in England, 
which I wonder if they just did it because we ain't pronouncing it French, you know. <laughs> so we're just not going to let the frogs tell us how to say this word. Um, but so the valet lost his job, and it was devastating to him, just absolutely devastating. And he ended up working the streets and doing other things, just trying to make it, you know. And, and you can see in this... Uh, uh, society, how important, how valuable it was to be attached to a home and to get that work as a servant in that home. So we need to think of it in many cases. Not not saying there wasn't there weren't bad things uh, in slavery, certainly in the Roman Empire, but uh, you just have to beware that uh, oh everybody needs to be set free and that would be fine. No, it would be disaster. It would be chaos in that society. Um, so it, it, we have to be careful about looking at the way we see things from our modern perspective and reading them back into uh, that uh, situation then. Uh, as I say, slavery uh, varied in many, many ways in the society, and uh, we just have to be careful about speaking to it and telling or, or determining that those Christians should have done this or that or the other. Uh, they did a magnificent job. They spilled their blood for Christ. They weren't afraid of anything, okay? These people were martyred to get the gospel out. And so it wasn't fear of a situation. It was wisdom, you see, wisdom to, to take the course that they did to establish these communities of believers and to gather more and more people in. And they changed the empire, right? So uh, we need to be careful about our criticisms there. So, uh, the thing here that we want to focus on is the, the emphasis in this passage on the Lordship of Christ, okay? The emphasis on the Lordship of Christ. Uh, he's mentioned twice in the two, uh, six, uh, the two preceding uh, situations, wives and husbands, children and fathers. The Lordship is mentioned five times in this section, so... It, re- it really rises to the occasion, rises in importance and emphasis in this section with slaves and masters. And the thing I want to underscore about this lordship emphasis is the great dignity that Paul gives slaves in this passage. The great dignity he gives slaves in this passage. And, by extension, everyone who works, okay? We can, I think, eventually draw that conclusion that all of us who work for someone else, uh, if slaves have this dignity and this honor, certainly we all have this amazing dignity and honor that we serve the Lord as well. So I want to mention again, I hope you have your Bibles open because we're going to look at, you know, the various phrases here. But again, I, I, I... do not want us to forget chapter 3 or, for that matter, the rest of Colossians. So, first of all, the great dignity is that the slaves as well as all others and as well as their masters have all the blessings spoken of up to this point in Colossians. And particularly, I'm just focusing on chapter 3. All of those blessings are theirs as slaves and they're addressed within the context of those blessings. So don't, don't just start, oh, I want to read the section on slaves and forget what's said before 
that gives the whole basis and foundation for this address to slaves. That is, that they have been raised up with Christ, you slaves. You slaves have, been, have put on the new self, renewed after the image of God. You slaves will appear with Christ in glory at the last day. Think of the significance of that, spoken to slaves as fellow members in that uh, society. You slaves have put on this new self. You will receive glory. You have the privilege of doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You slaves represent the Lord. You commune with Him. You manifest Him. Think of that dignity. Why, the slaves are addressed in Titus 2. He tells slaves, adorn the doctrine of God. You slaves are beautifying the gospel itself with your lives. You're drawing others to that doctrine with the wonderful aroma of your goodness, you slaves. That's how much dignity you have in your lives as slaves. Does your life count? Yeah, yeah. Your, your life as well as any other believer of, has all of these things of chapter 3. So everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The threefold call to thanksgiving given in chapter 3. This goes out to you and it can and will be fulfilled in you. As slaves you can live lives of Abundant gratitude. You slaves are called to be compassionate and kind toward your masters. There's a real power in that. There's a freedom in that. There's a dignity in that. That you are called upon to act in the dignity and freedom of love and compassion. Uh, You are to act with patience and forbearance and forgiveness. You see, that gives you a certain strength of life, certain dignity that, because you tend to think, well, that's only offered of the stronger to the, the less fortunate, you know. We bless them with our patience. We bless them with our help and all this kind of thing, and they're just, oh, thankful that they even know us, you know. No, you love them. You show them patience. You show them forgiveness. That's the dignity that you have, even as slaves, The peace of Christ can rule your hearts. The word of Christ can dwell in your hearts. And so your slavery does not bar you from any of the spiritual blessings now or later that are in Christ Jesus. And so Paul can say there in chapter 311, in here, here, that is among the people of God, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. There is no slave or free here. You're in Christ, period. That's it. That levels everybody. We're all in Christ. Secondly, they serve a much higher Lord than their earthly Lord. You kind of miss the uh, Greek. uh, I'm sorry, I'm saying uh too much. You miss the Greek in verse 22. Slaves... It should be this, slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly lords, not by way of eye services, people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. It's the same word, kurios. Just like in verse 1 of chapter 4, masters and master. Now, the translations do make both of those words, kurios, 
they translate it masters. And, and that would be helpful if it was there in verse 22. But you see, the, the point is, you have in your worldly sphere, in this earthly sphere, a Lord, and you're to obey Him, but it's out of fear of your true heavenly Lord. Okay, So this Lord is, is not, He's trumped in the sense that it's for the sake of your greater Lord that you serve the lower Lord. And so out of your honor and reverence for your true Lord, you're now able to do wholehearted, focused work for the one that's your Lord in this present world order. It Literally, it reads, after the flesh. When it says your master, earthly masters, it means it literally is your master after the flesh, which points to this sphere. So he's only your Lord in the earthly realm is the, the point. He's not the one you're really serving. You're serving the Lord who in Colossians is the one who reconciled you through his death on the cross. He's the one who canceled out your sinful debts by nailing them to the cross. He has claimed you through his own suffering. He has won your complete forgiveness. He's bought you with his blood. That's the Lord you serve. Talk about dignity. The great Lord of heaven and earth has sacrificed himself for you. He's given everything to have you for himself. You serve him. Not this relative peon who may hate you and despise you and abuse you, but he's not your ultimate Lord. This Lord who sacrificed himself for you, that's your Lord. That's who you serve. That's the dignity that you have, slave. Incredible that Paul is speaking into this situation. Incredible how the gospel applies here. And so if you're doing work for a great king, you know, put yourself back in those situations. No matter if it's bringing water, it has great dignity and importance about it, right? I mean, imagine you're a little cobbler, one of dozens and dozens in a large village, and suddenly the king and all his retinue show up, and the king comes in uh, after introductions and says, I want a set of new shoes. Just imagine, like, he's picked me? He, he wants me to make him shoes? I'm the one? You know, that's the significance for these slaves. Yes, and not only that, he died. He died died to have you come and serve him. That's your honor. That's your dignity. That the Lord of heaven and earth is sacrificed so that you would make him shoes <laughs> in that sense. The dignity of this for slaves. And so this is meant, as you see in the passage, to lift their service from being compulsive, begrudging necessity to meaningful work, to deliver them from half-hearted, hated work, doing only as much as you have to to avoid punishment. You know, that's what it is to be a man-pleaser. Only when being watched, it's like the Pharisees. They only fasted so people could see it. They only prayed so people could see it. They only gave so people could see it. They didn't care about it. They didn't love God. They didn't love people. They were man-pleasers, eye service. And Paul says, I would set you free from that. I would set you free from the agony and distastefulness and the boredom and the emptiness of that. 
You serve this Lord in, in the menial things you do. You serve this Lord. Instead of avoiding everything possible, doing as little as possible, hiding laziness and irresponsibility, faking it, wasting time and resources, doing a poor job and not caring about it, not trying, not developing, not growing, not exploring the best ways to do something, not being creative, not paying attention, not listening, not concentrating, not studying, not doing your best. Paul says, no, no. Deliver you from all of this so that you can do your work with dignity and joy and strength and give yourself completely to it. Living that way is a condemnation itself. Life is already over if that's the way you're working. Okay? Life is already over if that's the way you're working. Slave or no no slave. If that's the way you're studying Life is already over for you, if that's the way even you're studying, you're working. Paul says, no, do whatever you do. Of course, he goes back to verse 17. Do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then the the parallel here in verse 23, whatever you do. Not only everything that they command you, verse 22, but whatever you do that falls outside of that command. Uh, whatever you do beyond what is required. Do it with everything you've got. Paul says, don't have to do anything. Don't barely do anything. Put your whole self into what you're called to do and whatever you choose to do. With Apart from sin, of course, is understood. Do it without reservation. Verse 23, when it says, from the soul, this expresses the idea of the whole person being animated by the breath of God. And so it means from, uh, the, with all the life force you have behind it. You know, that's the idea of from the soul. And it really parallels what is said in uh, Deuteronomy 6. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And, and when that's quoted in uh, Mark, it has the same phrase, from the soul, from the heart, from the soul. So there's the indication of this is the way you love God. This is the way you love people. This is the way you do your work. As the NEB says, put your whole heart into it. That's the way work's to be done. That's how we glorify God. It's not handing out tracts at work, okay? It's not putting your Bible out there. It's not being sure that uh, you witness to somebody uh, at, at lunch. Paul doesn't mention any of those. It's doing your work well, doing it as an honor to God, doing it with everything you've got. And it's repeated, you know, verse 22 is repeated basically in verse 23. It shows the danger of the slave's work becoming this agonizing, boring, draining, purposeless drudgery. And Paul wants to guard against that. So, and of course, it's not just what you do, but it's how you do it with what kind of attitude. And he shows by addressing their character that the work of a slave could be the means of self-expression and the development of character and skill, even as a slave. Isn't that majestic? It's wonderful. And so, it, it would have to be in one sense, all in your head. Now, we use that phrase to say, hey, bud, that's all in your head. In other words, 
you're imagining stuff because it's not out here in reality. It's just in your head. But in the best sense of the word, to be in our head the true reality of the true Lord who's died for us and rules in heaven and now is one day going to renew this earth. And so everything I do has significance. Everything I do is not going to burn up, but it's going to be refined in that last day and and everything's going to enter into the new heavens and the new earth. That just changes everything, right? But it's all in here of what the reality is of Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And so this statement in verse 24, you are serving the Lord Christ, most commentators would say, and it could be taken either way, that it's an imperative, even though the translations don't usually translate it that way. But serve the Lord Jesus Christ. There it is. It's like the centerpiece, really, of this whole section, beginning with verse 18. Serve the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what life is all about. It's for Him. It's under Him. It's in the presence, His presence. It's all about Christ. That's what transforms your work. That's what needs to be in our head. It's the Lord Jesus that we serve. Serve the Lord Jesus. And then... Another amazing dignity that is given these slaves is that they receive an inheritance as their reward. So they have the dignity of all of chapter 3 belongs to them. They have the dignity that they, have, they serve a true Lord above the, the earthly Lord. And they have this dignity that they will receive the inheritance as their reward. And this word uh, reward is usually used in a negative sense to mean retribution. So it has the idea of payback, right? You think about the normal payback for a slave, it ain't generally that good, right? Uh, a bad kind of payback, a bad kind of retribution. Even if they would, had done nothing wrong, they would receive things that they shouldn't have. And here Paul is saying, as slaves... Uh, under Christ, you will receive a different kind of retribution. You will have a reward of the inheritance. And it's ironic because in the Roman law, no slave could inherit anything. I love this. This is my favorite part. So you can't receive anything in that society. And you just have to watch as all the free people, you know, get their inheritances and this and that flows and everybody has all this stuff and you have absolutely nothing. You may be in just barely have what you have in your little room or on your bed. That's all you have and that's all you'll ever have and you'll die having just that. You have the reward of the inheritance. You have an inheritance. And it's the same inheritance of every other believer in this place. And it's the same inheritance as your master. <laughs> and so you will receive from the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, the Lord who has all authority and dominion in heaven and on earth. And if the greatest emperor, if you were the slave of the greatest emperor on earth and he had this gigantic kingdom and he bequeathed the whole kingdom to you, it's nothing compared to what you receive from the Lord Jesus Christ. So you who cannot possibly have an inheritance on earth and must only watch as others, you have an inheritance in Christ Jesus. Despite your harsh treatment and possible marginal minimum lifestyle, you have a glorious inheritance. Of you too, it is said in the first chapter of Colossians 
giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you, you slaves as well, to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So, you will inherit what your master will inherit. And so in this life, it doesn't matter in this room or anywhere else what anyone's financial or political or educational or institutional status is or is not. All have the inheritance of the saints in life. The great dignity and the great, in that sense, equality of everyone in this room, everyone who is in Christ. We all humbly receive for no merit of ourselves and nothing we've done that could earn it. We all humbly receive the final inheritance which was bought for us by the precious blood of Jesus Christ who suffered for us. And we all stand together. We all stand together to receive it from his hand. And it's significant that inheritance comes from the Old Testament idea of inheriting the land. And it's tied to the original promises to Abraham. I mean, one of the original promises always there is, and you'll get the land, and you'll get the land. And what's so wonderful about that is the land stands for the earth ultimately as it's translated earth. I mean, it's given that way in Matthew 5. And Paul even says in Romans 4, uh, he was told that he would inherit the earth, you know, or or the world, I think is the word there. So the, the land becomes the symbol for the whole complete final inheritance of the new heavens and the new earth. And now he's saying... You Gentile slave, you get Abraham's inheritance. You Gentile slave, you get Abraham's inheritance. That statement just blows the doors off of society as people knew it then. Off anything a Jew or a Gentile anybody could ever imagine. The great Paul, the great Jew of Jews himself, as he says. And he says, you take your place with me as a brother in Jesus to receive by the same grace, from the same blood, the inheritance. And finally, I'll just touch on this, but because they're, they have this dignity, and it may not seem dignity at first, but it is dignity when he says, the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. Um, and there's no partiality. Uh, judgment is unnerving in ways. It's awesome and it's sobering. It's stunning and gripping. But it shows that everything you do matters to God. You matter. Every day, everything matters. Your thoughts matter. Your words matter. Everything you do, everything you do at your work whether you're paid or not, whatever, everything you do on vacation, (laughs) everything you do while you're walking, hiking or uh, on the beach, everything you do, he loves you that much. You are that important to him. You matter that much to him. His eye is always on you. Read Psalm 139. Get a good dose of it from that. And so you are not forgotten and nothing is forgotten. That's the dignity of judgment. Everything you do is important. And that raises, it, it raises the very reason you would obey, the very reason you would do things well, because it's so important, and this is important, and this is important. There are no small moments with God. 
But it also guards us from thinking and guarded, guarded slaves or anyone else. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you just get a free ride, like all the other slaves have to obey. But I don't because I've got another master. That's our tendency. That's how we abuse even that relationship with Jesus. And uh, employers and professors have talked about how many times it's Christians that are the lazy ones. And somehow they think they've got a free ticket because they belong to Jesus now. And they don't have to do this. They don't have to do their work. That is, you know, not good to say the least, right? We should be the very hardest, the very most diligent within the confines of what God calls us to do. Not to make these things our gods, not to make them our significance, but because of our relationship to God that we can give ourselves to these things. And so this is saying to us, there's no partiality. It's not as though uh, a a non-Christian slave can, you know, do all of his stuff and waste all these things and he gets judged for it, but now you get a free ticket because you belong to Jesus. You can do the same things, and you get to go to heaven. No, it doesn't work that way. It's not a ticket that you now disobey God and disobey your uh, master. It is for the sake of you being transformed to be the very best of slaves, the very best worker, the very best student you can be. Uh, the very best child, the very best wife, the very best husband, the very best father, all of this this list, right? And, of course, he speaks to the masters uh, so that they treat their slaves justly and fairly. That Just hearing that as a slave, you realize, and maybe you're likely, in many cases, you're a slave and you're even there initially because the master brought you. And you were converted through that master, perhaps. And you're hearing, wow, my master that I may belong to, he himself is being commanded. He himself is being told to be just and fair, to treat me in an honorable way. So this tremendous encouragement. Isn't it amazing how we're told, instead of the fear of God, the fear of the Lord, that is the fear of Christ. Or to speak of judgment in terms of the Lord Jesus Christ. The nobility. You can only speak of one who is God in this way, right? You can only speak of one who uh, himself is divine. And to think that God himself took flesh to sacrifice, to win us to himself, so that now we can live in fellowship with that Lord. And everything has that context of the relationship of Jesus Christ in all that we do. Do everything, everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ with thanksgiving. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for how you transform our work. You transform everything we have and everything we do by the grace that is given us in Christ Jesus. Lord, we pray that we would walk in new freedom and new obedience We would walk in new diligence and creativity and initiative. Lord, that we would see how closely we are related to you in all that we do. We pray that it will not produce in us frenetic activity, but it will first bring about peace in our lives, shalom, the peace of Christ to rule us, the word of Christ to 
dwell in us richly, to know that we are new in Christ Jesus, we have a new life in Him that is protected in heaven and flows from heaven. It cannot be touched or altered by any power in this world. It is unsaleable. It is powerful. It will have its wonderful effect in our lives, and we can walk in new ways in every aspect of our lives because we have been raised up with Christ Jesus. We have put off the old life. We have put on the new self that is made in your image. It's being renewed after your image. Oh, Lord, these are, these are cosmic realities, and we're living in this new world. We're living in this new creation. You've called us out of darkness into your light. Oh, Lord, pray, encourage us and strengthen us that we will indeed do everything in your name, that we will indeed work, do our work heartily as for the Lord. Connect us, Lord, so that we can see the different ways in which our work is your means of enabling us to love this world, to present our good works, not just in helping someone in our neighborhood or someone less fortunate, but our good works manifesting themselves in the eight-hour days or 10 or 12-hour days we put in, that that is an aspect of our good works. That is a way we reflect you, the God who made all things, the God who himself is a worker, and we get to be workers like you. Oh, Lord, call us to that dignity and that glory of seeing uh, everything that we do as this contribution, uh, a manifestation in our lives of the love of God for others as we serve them in our jobs, as we work for uh, the good of others as we work to help our society flourish in whatever way we can. As you called your people in Jeremiah to do, may we work for the good of our communities, Lord. Thank you that we can have these goals, this enrichment uh, in all of our work uh, by the glory of God in Christ Jesus. Amen.